0: Morning. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. I actually just talked to Jesse Splann, our youth dude, uh, before the service. He has two Thanksgivings uh, this week. He's celebrating today and Thursday. And actually, if you guys haven't talked to him yet, you should ask him about how much McDonald's he can eat in one serving. Right? Wasn't it, Michael? Uh, isn't it like fifteen dollars worth of, of food? Don't quote me. Don't quote me on that. Ask him; he may have he may have a better number. But it's it'll blow your mind. I know that. I know that much. So. But uh, so he's getting his two Thanksgivings uh, this week. But uh, well, welcome again to Hope, everyone. My name is Chris Walker. If you don't know me, I'm a, I'm an overseer, here at Hope Community, and uh, and a seminary intern. And Steve's still gone. He's flying back from UK- Ukraine right now as we as we speak. Uh, so I'm, I'm, one of the reasons why I'm preaching is, is in his absence. But I uh, actually wanted to pray for him to, to begin, just because he spent two weeks there investing in pastors, and I think it would be appropriate, just because it's always appropriate to pray, period, but to, to pray now for uh, just the spirit would do work uh, in the Ukraine uh, in, uh, uh, after, after these uh, conferences he, and seminars he's been involved with. So let's, let's pray for a minute. God, thanks so much for, for Steve, for Pastor Steve, and for giving him a two weeks to do this. Uh, to bring the gospel really to this part of the world and invest in pastors so that they can bring uh, the gospel to more people. And God, we pray that you would you would bring thousands to Christ in this part of the world, God. And and let the let the word just travel and bear fruit and give you glory. And I would pray for safe travel for Steve and uh, and and health and just great reunions with his family. And uh, God, all this uh, all this for your sake, Father. We thank you again for it and. And I look forward to seeing him again. So uh, we pray this and just thank you again. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's appropriate to begin this way. Again, because I said it's always appropriate to pray, period. But especially because Steve spent two weeks in the Ukraine for the sake of the gospel. And this morning's text is all about the gospel in John. We're going to continue our John series today. and. Um, uh, and again, not, not that he necessarily shared the gospel with unbelievers, people who are not Christians, but he shared, them, he shared the gospel with pastors uh, so that they can, in turn, uh, s- spread the gospel to their respective nations, so that those pastors can be equipped to better share the gospel with their nationals or with uh, Ukrainians. So, um, and and uh, by the way, when I say, when I say gospel... Uh, I mean, good news, and I kind of already hinted at this. But gospel means good news. It's the the words are interchangeable. Uh, the gospel uh, and the good news of the Bible, or should, uh, the good news of the Bible, is that uh, God came to us. That's going to be really key this morning. If even if you want to write that down, if you want to pull out your handout, uh, your sermon insert. If you just want to, if you have a good memory, you can remember this too. But the idea, the good news of the Bible is that God came to us. Core uh, Core Cor quoted the the hymn lyrics. I think during the uh, the announcement time that. Um, Jesus sought me when a stranger when I was wandering from the fold of God. That's key and makes very unique, actually, Christianity. It's key to Christian theology that God came to us. We didn't go to him. It's very good news, and we're going to flesh that out this morning in a few ways, but keep that in mind. And actually, I was thinking this week that good news is like one of the, I think it's one of the the understatement words of of the Bible, if you really think about it, or it's at least something we take for granted, uh, because it really should be the best news you could ever get any time. Anywhere, anyhow, it should be, we're going to read that in the Bible, put a little footnote there, say it's the the best news you could ever get anytime, anywhere, anyhow, is the gospel of the Bible. It's God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why Christians preach so much. That's why we send missionaries, that's why we evangelize, Uh, that's why we invest in people's lives, because we have good news for the world, and it's from God, and so, um Anyway, but this morning we're going to basically look at John's angle on this gospel. We're going to look at two verses, actually pretty much a half of a verse because I don't have time for all of it, but uh, we're going to look at John 1, 14 and 14 to 15, and uh, again, look at John's angle on this good news. What, why, is this, uh, why is this such great news for us? Let me just read it. It'll be on screen if you want to follow along and in your sermon insert. Uh, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John, it's John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. All right, just a little summary here. Now remember where we've been. This is just the first few verses of this gospel. Pastor Steve has been preaching thus far about this idea of the word. And so the the gospel writer is introducing this idea of the word to us and he's still telling us who this word is and what this word has come to do. So we're going to continue that uh, this morning as well. And as we do this, we're going to see two things as well: how Jesus Christ fulfills and makes better things in the Old Testament that were put in place to testify to Him. Okay, we'll we'll come back to that. But also how God initiates salvation, and I mentioned this already, but it's very important for this morning. How God is the initiator of our salvation, the initiator of our souls, the lover of our souls. And how he, how he moved towards us for the sake of his glory and, and our salvation so if you look at your handout I've broken this down basically not so much by points kind of by points, but basically ch- uh, chop on that first verse up verse 14 and we're going to spend most of our time there I'll mention a couple things about 15, but I just I just don't have time for all of it and uh, it's just it's just too good and too important so but anyway, the first point first thing we learn about the word then uh, that's probably one way I'll break it down. Uh, the first thing we learn about the Word is that the Word became flesh. This idea of the Word he's introducing to us is that the Word became flesh. Now, again, remember we've been in previous weeks. Pastor Steve preached on the first couple of verses of John and mentioned this kind of vague idea of the Word, that, it's, that it's, uh, it, it was in the beginning, and it, it was with God, and it was God. It was with God in the beginning. So the kind of this, okay, this Word is God, but yet it's with God as well. And, and, but, but why call it the word? And we, we talked a little about that, but there's some ambiguity there. There's kind of some, well, what in the world is this kind of thing? But now a couple verses later, that ambiguity leaves us and we see for sure who this word is. And so, cause now in verse 14, the word becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh. And so now we know for sure that this word is Jesus Christ. The word, God, the fullness of God has come or become a man in Jesus Christ. And so, God is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is a man. You could say it's a bunch of ways, but every way, it doesn't really help, because it just kind of blows your mind. Actually, this is the part in the sermon where Pastor Steve would say, put this in your theological pipe and smoke it. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to give credit where it's you. I would never say that, so. Um, but Steve would, so. But but yeah, because it's a paradox, right? And actually, let me, let me say a couple more things about this. If you want to put a number to it, and a lot of people, theologians do this, that Jesus Christ is 100% God and he's 100% man. Call it the incarnation. God incarnated himself into human flesh. 100% God, the fullness of God in the fullness of man. 100% man. The word became flesh, didn't put on flesh. One way not to think about the, 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 uh, the Jesus Christ, the incarnation. He wasn't God as spirit who zipped up skin around himself. It, the, the, the text doesn't allow us to say that. It says the word became flesh, the fullness of God, without losing anything of what he was, became what he was not. Became man in, in the fullness of man. So, Okay. But what I want to do, instead of looking at this from a historical perspective, and that's very important, what I mean by historical perspective is the early Christians uh, l- looked at this or r- wrote it out in creeds to, uh, to deflect heresy and bad ways, like the zipper skin thing. They, they'd uh, deflect things like that by writing out creeds and statements of what the church believed. Or they just write out diagrams, uh, like how we understand this with circles and stick figures and things. And those are very important, uh, don't get me wrong. But what I think is more important is uh, looking at what John does with this, with the next word. Because this is just as crazy for John, right? He wrote these words. not like he understood it any better than we did. He, through the inspiration of the Spirit, he wrote the word became flesh. But then, so what does he write right after that? How does he flesh this out? That's what's going to be most important this morning. So I want to go there and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll spend most of our time there. So. so the word became flesh, number one. Second thing then we learn about the word and what helps us with this is the word dwelt among us. The word became flesh, and then the word dwelt among us. I think this is, this is one of the coolest things for me, and for sure this whole chapter, if not the whole gospel, is this idea of, of dwelling. It comes from the Greek word skeno'o, which means, it means dwell, which is why we translate dwell in our English Bibles. But if in a more full sense, it means to dwell as in a tent, or to pitch a tent. And it's been long understood, uh, or long observed by scholars, that this is an allusion to the tabernacle of, of the Old Testament. And actually have, so you could actually translate that, that word, be totally true to the text, and translate it, uh, Jesus tabernacled among us. He dwelt, he tabernacled, set up camp, set up tent around us. I have a picture of the tabernacle. You can put that picture up. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Um, it is a painting, uh, not a photograph. Uh, <laughs> this is, um, you can kind of see, here, this is, this, these are the Hebrews, this is the Israelites in, uh, camping around. And by the way, if you remember this story, uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this. After the Exodus, God told Moses and others to build a tabernacle. You can see the tent-like structure here. Um, that's why, this is what I was getting at when I was saying tent, pitch a tent. Um, this is kind of like a, a portable temple, really. This, this uh, preceded the temple. The temple was more permanent. This was able to be taken up and taken down when God wanted to move, and so it was portable. Uh, but anyway, this, these are the uh, this encampment of the Hebrews, of the Israelites, encamping around it. Um, this, this is happening right at sunset when the pillar of cloud switched over to the pillar of fire, uh, which both symbolized God's presence, whether by day or by night. And uh, this is the altar, the priests uh, assisting worship before the altar, and this is the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and God's presence uh, dwelling above it. So um, I thought that was kind of cool. But... Uh, so anyway, that gives you kind of a word picture to what, what the tabernacle was in the Old Testament. Now let, let me read you though, keep this in mind, let me read you a couple of um, uh, passages of scripture to give you some scriptural context to this as, as to what it was exactly. Exodus 40, 34 to 35, this is on your handout too. Uh, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, Leviticus 15, 31, this is more on people's association with uh, the tabernacle. It says this, uh, God says this, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Uh, and that idea of uncleanness is basically, a, it, the, the tabernacle was set up under a system of law where people had to be, basically have some ritual uh, purity to themselves to be able to worship God so they wouldn't die in this holy, perfect presence of God, so you don't really need to understand that totally to get this this morning, but just to give you some uh, some clarity on that. So a summary then, just from this picture and from the two from the two uh, scripture passages, the tabernacle is the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. It's where God's glory glory was. It's where He manifested His glory. It's a holy place. It's perfect. It's totally clean. And if anything if anything unclean enters it, it will it will it'll be wiped away. It will perish. So can you guys start to see some similarities uh, between Jesus Christ and the tabernacle? Maybe some, maybe some dissimilarities as well? There is some coolness here. There, there's some cool things here. I am kind of a Bible nerd, but, uh, but there, so maybe it's, it's just me. But, uh, but there, there's, let, let me actually sidebar here for a second. For those of you who have taken my, t- took my Hebrews class and even are in my small group, uh, this will sound familiar because we've looked at this a little bit. But um, when you read your Bible... Uh, you need to read it like this. Uh, this is how it's set up. This is how it's held together. The Old Testament uh, points towards and anticipates the New Testament. Uh, Old Testament occurrences point towards uh, New Testament realities. Okay, it's it's uh, that's how your that's how that's how your Bible is held together, and so that's how we that's how we read it. That's kind of like a, a good illustration for this is if you've ever uh, taken a picture of. Uh, of a beautiful sunset, or maybe mountains do it for you, like, like Pastor Steve, or, or oceans. And you, just, and you want to cap, cap, uh, capture a picture. Like for me, I, I saw the most beautiful purple sky once in, in the North Shore. I wanted to take a picture of it. So it was just the most perfect purple I've ever seen. So I, I took a picture. And I was also at the Great Wall of China once. And if you guys have been there, it just goes on forever. And I want to try to capture that distance, yet just the majesty of it. So I took a picture you know you know how, you, you know how you, when you get your pictures back, it's just oh my gosh, I totally lost it. You know, it's like it, it didn't it didn't even come close to capturing it. Uh, now picture that picture that flipped. Picture getting the or imagine getting the picture first. Okay, you get you get the picture of the of the of the sunrise or the mountain or the ocean or the Great Wall or some other object of nature that you think is beautiful, and you get it and you think wow that's great you know that's beautiful, but then you'd then then picture getting the reality. You'd be like, the reality is so much better. It, like, it makes full what this picture was. Tra- it, the, the, the picture symbolized what the reality was, but the reality is so much greater. The picture is the Old Testament, okay, in, ma- in many different ways, uh, but the, uh, in many and various ways, but the, the, the New Testament is the reality, okay, and that's how these things, that's how these things relate to one another. Uh, the tabernacle is just one example. Uh, the Old Testament is, in and of itself, is, is that picture, but it's also important to understand that God didn't mess up in the Old Testament. Okay, Jesus, Jesus wasn't plan B. The Old Testament was meant to fade away. It was meant to give way and to bend the knee towards the reality when it come, when it came in Jesus Christ. Okay, so, and we'll, we'll come back to that too. But, but back to the text. So what, what is John saying in light of all of this? In light of all of these things we've, we've just looked at? He's saying Jesus Christ is the new tabernacle. He's the new dwelling place of God. He's the new manifestation of God's glory. He's the new holy place. Okay, he's making this, he make, he's making this word connection here with dwelt and tabernacle. And so actually I have, I have a comparison list here I want to show you guys. If you want to throw that up between the tabernacles. Um, you can see that, this, oh, the colors aren't as different as I thought they were going to be. But uh, those are kind of yellow and this is yellow. Um, so, uh, but you can see these two up here. Those are similarities. So there's some similarities too. Uh, and again, this is this is the difference between the testaments. There are similarities between the testaments, and there are, and there are differences. There's continuity and discontinuity. Um, they're both God's dwelling places. They're both holy. But then look at the differences. Uh, the new tabernacle is a person, not a building. It's, there's direct access to God. And i got—I got to qualify that. Full reconciliation didn't happen until the cross between God and man. But we already see it here in the very essence of who Jesus is. That there, that there is some bridge between God, the awesomeness of God, and the sinfulness of man, and, and the imperfection of man. Okay, now the, there's separation in the old, no separation in the new. We can see, you see in this very passage we read this morning, that we can see the glory, it says. We can see glory, but can't see in the Old Testament uh, and then I'll come back to the law and grace thing. But, uh, and there's glory. I actually should have put greater glory on the right. That's a, that's a typo. But there's, there's greater glory in Jesus Christ. There's glory in the Old Testament. Remember, like the picture of the sunrise, that's a glorious thing, but not as glorious as the reality. So there's greater glory in this person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so do you see how great Jesus Christ is? On the right, you see how awesome he is in comparison to the old thing. How great the new thing is uh, when he came. And remember, Jesus Christ is no Plan B. Uh, he was meant to supersede uh, the old things. He was meant to. Uh, he was meant to to be greater than something, so that he would be all the more glorified. God would be the more glorified when he came. So, if you want to even personify the Old Testament, if it could speak, it would say something like, uh, "I've I, I've testified to you, Jesus Christ, for hundreds of years, but now that you have come." I'm gone. I'm I'm I am fading away. But but you are here and you're the real tabernacle and I'm I'm giving way to you now because you're greater than I am and you were always meant to come. It would say if you could personify it. I mean, it's a building. But but that's what it would say because Jesus Christ is so great and he's so full of God's glory. He's the fullness of time. He's uh he's the he's the climax of the Bible. He he is the he's the main like any any good story has a climax. Uh, the, the Bible is a story, and Jesus Christ is the climax of it. Uh, by the way, and going back to this law and grace thing, too, and, and uh, I'll try to make this as, as simple as possible. They're important to understand. Uh, the, the old tabernacle was set up in a, underneath a system of law that separated people from God's, from God's presence, from his holiness. Uh, you can see here that the separation idea, that's why that tent was set up. You can, Remember that picture we just saw? People encamped around it, but they couldn't go in. A priest could, but only once a year into the very holy place. Uh, but now, again, look at how great Jesus Christ is, and especially for the Jew now reading this, he would see the long-awaited time has come with Christ. He would know these, the Old Testament scriptures, and, and then he would see this man, this Jesus Christ, this tabernacle, this fullness of God's glory, coming to them, touching cripples, unclean people, and making them well, Looking, speaking to them, touching their eyes, saying to the deaf, hear, And to the lame walk. And this is now the new tabernacle doing these things. Look at how much better it is than the old way of separation. And God intended this so that the latter way would be all the greater when when it would come. All the predictions and prophecies have met their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now let me bring it back to, just. I know that was a lot there, but let me just try to summarize a little bit. Uh, John's telling us a couple of things so far. First of all, John is the fullness of God and He, I'm sorry. Jesus is the fullness of God and the fullness of man. He is the God man. Uh, he is He is He is God incarnate. And then similarly, and again, this is how He flushes that out. He draws on in the, in the Old Testament imagery and says, Jesus is the new dwelling place of God. He is the new tabernacle. He has superseded all that the old foreshadowed and anticipated. He is great. But there's one third thing here that we usually take for granted when we read these passages and I'm coming back to what I alluded to earlier. God is the initiator of our salvation. He's the one that's moved towards us. We have in no way, in no way moved towards him. He has come to us. In, in, this, whole first, this whole chapter is about God, notice. The God, this is a gospel which is a book about Jesus Christ. All we've talked about so far is, is God, what he has done in, throughout history in the Old Testament to anticipate Jesus and then coming into man to dwell among us. It's all about him. He came to save us from sin. We didn't go to him to save ourselves. See, the huge difference there in understanding the gospel this way. So this is indeed good news. This is the best news you could ever receive that the creator God is good and he's come to us uh, to save us and we did not have to go to him. I'm taking a world religions class right now. I'm a a seminary student at Bethel and uh, Every week I go, it's a great class, and every week I go, I, I get blown away by how different and unique Christianity is uh, over and against all the other world religions there are. Uh, it's totally unique, and unique in this light, in how God is the one who comes to us. I have, I have another, compar- I'm just into comparison charts today, so I have another one. Um, no colors this time, but uh, but Okay. Merit-based or work-based, that's, that's all other world religions. If, if you really strip them down, they're bare bones. You know, at first it may be hard to see, but if you really strip them down, that's what you get on the left. World religion, major religions, as well as like pseudo-Christian cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're all on the left. But on the right is biblical Christianity. It's different. It's distinct. Look at this now. Uh, Works-based as opposed to belief-oriented. On the left, it's what I can do. Uh, to get to God, not believing in what God has done. Very different. It's people-oriented uh, as opposed to God-oriented, or I should say people-centered as opposed to God-centered. People appease the gods as opposed to people receive what God has done. People do. God does. People to gods. God to people. I'm saying the same thing a bunch of times here. But, um, re, okay, this, there's a reciprocal relationship in a lot of merit-based uh, religions. In other words, when I, give, when I give something to God, when I sacrifice to him, I, I'm expecting something back. I'm expecting a little, a little something, you know, for whatever. Um, that's, that's reciprocal. Now, in, in Christianity, God is independent. He doesn't need us or anything. So how much more is it he who has to be the one that comes to us? You see, there's, there's a big distinction there between uh, reciprocity and, and independence. Fear, I mean, the only, right, the only response you can have to a merit-based system is fear and uncertainty, it's like, how could you ever know for sure if your relationship was restored with God if it was up to you? But with Christianity, there's peace and joy and assurance because we already know what God has accomplished for us on the cross in working, out our, in working for us a victory, a salvation. And then on the left, see, and this is the big difference, on the left, you boast in the self because, again, it's what you do to Attain to some level with God, but on the right of Christianity, you boast in Christ. That's Paul's words. You you get to boast in what God has done. You boast in your weaknesses, so that God is all the more strong, because He's the one that has come to save us. Uh, Ephesians two eight and nine says, uh, "For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from your it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. He's given a gift." To us for salvation, not by works, not by a merit-based system, so that no one can boast. You see, no one, no one can boast in the Christian worldview because God has done something great, and, and that's the good news. Again, that's why as Christians we tell people all about it, because it, it's the best news we could ever we could ever receive. Or uh, and the, actually, third point now on your on your handouts if you're following along. Uh, and this is why John says the word is full of grace and truth. The third thing we learn about the word is that he is full of grace, undeserved merit, something we don't deserve. He extends to us by his grace and truth. He is the essence of truth. And then one last thing that testifies to the greatness and Godlikeness of Jesus is that he is eternal. See, in, in, in verse 15, I think we can go back to that. Do I have that up there? Yeah. In verse 15, it says... It says, he's full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist is an Old Testament figure. Even though he's in the New Testament, he's testified to in the Old. He's an Old Testament figure because he, he pointed to Jesus Christ. Like everything in the Old Testament, Jesus was the target and they were, they were shooting at. Maybe that's not the best analogy. But, <laughs> but they, they, were, they were like... He was the goal. That's the that's better one. He was the goal. Okay? And, and John the Baptist is, is the last one who says, who says, Jesus is the goal, and I'm testifying to him. So, but he says, even though he comes after me, he ranks before me because he was before me. Jesus Christ was before, he's God. He is before John the Baptist. He's before the tabernacle. Because so he's greater than the tabernacle. And everything else in the Old Testament. He ranks before all of these things. He's eternal. Um, just a couple words then of kind of the, the so what to all of this. Um, to, to those of you who are here today and, and uh, do, do not know Christ uh, in, in a personal way, who are not Christians, not consider yourself Christians, um, first of all, I just want to welcome you back to hope. And we're glad you're here, and we're always glad. Uh, you're here on Sundays to hang out with us and maybe throughout the week at different things. Uh, one of the reasons why we're glad you're here is because we have good news to tell you. We have, it's just, it's always great to be the bearer of good news. I mean, if, if you're, uh, just think of something going on in, in your life, some smaller things, like if you did well on a, on a test or, you know, if you just had a, just got pregnant or if you, I mean, you, you always want to tell people good news and that's it's the same thing, but on a bigger scale with Christianity. We want to be the bearers of good news. And the good news is that God has moved towards you and he loves you and he, want, he has moved towards you to, to save you from your sin so that you can enjoy eternal life with him. And, uh, may, and maybe this is a picture of God you can't really receive because you've never been loved by somebody uh, in your life, whether it's a parent. You've never been moved towards by somebody, whether that's uh, any kind of relationship, a sibling, a parent, um, you know, a peer of some sorts, a friend, uh, you've never been moved towards, because, uh, and so it's hard for you to picture God this way. But the good news is he is that way. The Bible testifies to it. He is, he is the essence of goodness and the essence of love. Scriptures say he is love. And he's moved towards you and he wants to save you because he, he sent his son to die for you. And we know his love in that, in that one great event. And so believe in him and believe he is who he said he was and you will be saved. Confess your sin and, and, uh, and you'll be saved. There'll be people up front after the service if you want to talk. Pastors Hamlet and Cora here, I'll be down front, and other people with prayer badges on, red badges, if you want to talk to them more about the gospel, the good news, I invite you to do that today. And uh, to those of you who are Christians, uh, besides just continuing to love the gospel, love the good news, and to find joy in it, because remember, we find joy because God has done something for us, and it's great news. Besides that, um, initiate, actually I'm going to throw up a passage here first, 2 Corinthians uh, 6. 16, Paul says, we are the temple of the living God. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament. He says, just in John 2, we'll get there shortly in our sermon series, he says, you will, will," I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says basically, I will raise this temple up in three days, and it says right after that, he was referring to his body, not to the building. He is the temple, the new dwelling place of God. But now he says we are as well because Christ is in us. So now by extension, we are the dwelling place of God. And so the encouragement in the scriptures is for us to go and initiate. And by initiating with the lost world, we bring, uh, we bring that initiating love of, of Christ to this lost world. Whether that's serving them, loving them, uh, cooking a pie for your neighbors, raking their yards, uh, sharing the gospel with one of your dorm mates. Uh, asking them how you can pray for them. I mean, there's a ton of ways you can move towards them, all in order to point people back to the cross. Everything you do points back to the gospel because Christ is in you. And it matters because, uh, because you are the temple and you bring Christ. To the, 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 the church building is not the temple of God. You are the temple of God, and so you bring uh, God's presence. So the exhortation, again, in the scripture is to go and, and serve, die, in a sense, to, to yourself and to the world that they may see, they may see the gospel. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for uh, your grace uh, extended to us in in Jesus Christ, the God Man, uh, who who was the bridge in His in His very essence. Just being God and Man uh, was already a bridge in His very nature uh, between us. And, and you, Father. And we thank you that we can have a relationship with you through him. Uh, I pray you'd help us to initiate with a lost world, God, and to embody this idea of, of, um, of dwelling place, of, of uh, initiating love that you have for us to this lost world. And, and uh, we just thank you so much, God, for how great the good news is and that we can just enjoy it afresh today. And, uh, God, we, we pray, we just give you all the glory today and, and pray you'd... Uh, um, Help us to worship you now in song. Amen.